Welcome to Closing Day. This podcast is for anyone looking to get into their very first home. The steps to buying a property are complicated. How much house can I afford? Where do I start? Should I just rent for the rest of my life? Hear from industry experts and get the answers. If you're looking to purchase your first home, you are in the right place. This podcast will help you get closer to closing day. Hey everyone, this is Cassie, producer of Closing Day, and I'm here with our host, Kyle Pucko. Hey Cassie, how is your Friday treating you? It's good Friday, sun's shining. Yeah, we got a little team outing scheduled yeah. later today. That should be a good time. Be fun. We just interviewed Julie Gardner, and what a great episode. You know, we'd interviewed Andrew in a previous episode um, from um, Engel and Volker's Real Estate, and Julie, you know, Julie brought to the table a lot of those unanswered questions that we haven't gotten to in episodes, you know, one through nine. Um, we talk about contingencies. We talk about negotiations. What was what was one of your takeaways from from the episode, with Julie? Julie talked a lot about setting priorities for the house that you want to buy. You know, actually, mm-hmm. what's important for you when you're searching for houses, especially in a market like Missoula, where they're few and far between. Sometimes people get too excited, just buy a house and it doesn't have anything that they actually wanted in it. So right. it's important to be patient and have those priorities as well as realizing you might not get all of them um, and to go into a dream home. You yeah, know? you sort of have those expectations and being realistic about those. Yep, ranking you your table. priorities, yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. We talk about backup offers, so a lot packed into this episode. Yeah, let's jump in. Here we are, closing day with Julie Gardner. Julie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah, we're really excited to have you, you know, and talking with folks and bringing folks in and talking real estate here in Montana. You're a name that continues to come up, I think, for a number of reasons. One is you have great marketing around town. Thank you. Uh, I think you've sold a lot of homes in your career mm-hmm. and helped people buy a lot of homes in their career. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a it's a you know it's Montana so it's the small town that is Montana so uh, people know good work when they when they see it and when they are connected with it so we're really excited to have you in. Um, but before we get into real estate and first time home buying, I want to learn a bit about your career in real estate because mm-hmm. it sounds like it didn't just sort of happen out of thin air. Uh, there's some legacy behind your career. Yeah. Can you yeah. can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So. Uh, my grandfather, who um, passed away at 96 about 10 years ago, started a small real estate company, much like George and Danny Lambros started the real estate company here in Missoula, Montana, around the same time. Okay. Um, my dad joined his father um, right out of college before I was born, So, and he did that my entire life. In fact, my dad um, just now retired this year, so, so I'm... What I say is I'm wow. a third generation realtor. I didn't see that coming, um, right. you know. Um, so after college, I worked in the philanthropy sector for a while. I then went and got a master's in um, public policy and, in, um, and went to law school. And so then practiced law and ended up doing a lot of real estate law in Missoula, Montana. Um, yeah. I worked for um, a a lawyer named Bob Knight, who has since retired, who was an incredible mentor in real estate and um, really learned so much about um, 
transactions, not as much from the negotiation side, but uh, from you know the detail side of making sure all the I's were dotted and T's were crossed. I mm-hmm. think that's something that I've carried with me yeah. to this day and just really being careful for my clients. Um, and I then got to be really close friends with Peter Lambros and did the zoning over at Cafe Dolce for him as his attorney. And there was about three years where Peter kept saying, you know, we should join up as a team the way George, his father, and his uncle Danny, who was an attorney, did 50 years ago. Um, And after about three years of that conversation, I realized this is where I belong. This is the career that I'm most happy in. And Peter was right. And um, so we have a great time working on commercial projects together. And then my residential business I do on my own with my team members. Um, cool. Have a couple of full-time staff that work with me who are licensed and do a fabulous job. And yeah, I yeah. love residential real estate. So Awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, it sounds like helping people is one of the things that you enjoy most about being in realty or being in real estate. Um, what's, what's another thing? What's one thing that people might not guess that, you know, realtors really enjoy or I really enjoy this piece of being in in real estate you know there are so many reasons to to love my career but having come from a background of practicing law and doing some litigation um, and there there were days when I really felt the pressures of trying to put a square peg in a round hole Um, and the last case that I did as an attorney the last one that finished um, I was representing a group um, and of cousins, basically, and we were trying to decide up how to divide a family ranch. It took about three years, and once that was done, everyone was upset. And the lawyer on the other side, who was a good friend, looked at me and said, sometimes you know you've done your best job when everyone is equally as upset. <laughs> Interesting. And I thought, okay, this isn't where I want to be for the yeah. next 25 years. Right. The great thing about um, representing folks in residential real estate, um, it's so different than what some people think of as a sales job. It's much more of a facilitator and making sure that people find the right solution for what they're looking for. Um, there isn't that square peg in a round hole feeling very often mm-hmm. you know, in my job. And, and even when things fall apart, I often feel like, you know, they work out the way they're meant to eventually, it's going to be okay. Yeah. And um, that's a nice, that's a nice feeling. You mentioned a square peg in a round hole. Do you find with first time home buyers specifically that their expectations heading into the process need to be changed as they start seeing homes and they start saying, this is the exact home that I want. This is the exact, uh, you know, number of bedrooms, square footage, price point. Mm-hmm. And how do you coach somebody that comes in with maybe unrealistic expectations into, hey, here's a, what's going to happen? Here's actually the more, here, here's reality. Mm-hmm. Not everybody has unrealistic expectations. Yeah. Um, but, but when there are those, and it's not limited to first time home buyers. So, mm-hmm. um, but there are certainly, you know, that can happen. And often, especially when people are coming into our, Uh, Montana market from other places 
Um, you know, we don't have the population, obviously, of Seattle or San Francisco, and so maybe not the prices, but our housing prices are not as low as some people expect because yeah. we're such a great place to live and we don't have the supply that we need in some ways for housing. Um, if the expectations are just completely out of line with what the market is, you know, we sort of talk about that I don't have a magic wand. You know, I can't yes. produce something that doesn't exist. And so then it's a matter of starting to look through priorities. And is location the priority? Is square footage the priority? The school district? You know, what is it? Mm-hmm. And and what things can we take off the list to fit with the budget that we're working with? Yeah, I think that's helpful. Um, and at what stage... At what stage, you know, we haven't talked about negotiation a whole mm-hmm. lot. So this is one of the last episodes of season one All of, right. of Closing Day. And so we're trying to fill in some of the missing pieces that maybe we didn't talk about that are that are important. Um, and one of those, I think, is negotiation. So you make an offer on a home. How do you find that number? How do you, how do you land on a, if it's a $200,000 home, do you subtract 10 and that's just sort of, understood by realtors everywhere that, oh yeah, knock off 10K on a $200,000 home, or is there is there a formula that folks should be using? And what's the strategy there? So yeah, it's luckily it's a bit more objective than that. Um, and that's this is where having a seasoned realtor or somebody who um, really understands the market and is looking out for, for your best interest, which is to get to that closing, um, is is really important um assuming that the buyer is using a, a lender and with first-time home buyers that's almost always the case yeah it should be it's essential that the home is going to appraise for the purchase price so you have to um be sure that the amount that you're offering is in keeping with the market value of the home um, Montana is um, one of a few states in the country where sale prices are not reported publicly. It's mm-hmm. we're called a non-disclosure state. Um, that's a, a rule that's set by the legislature. It's not, you know, it's not by town or so that's true of state the whole wide. state. Mm-hmm. So in order to assess the value of the home that you're looking at, you really need to know the amount that comparable homes sold for within the last sort of six to 12 months. And you need a realtor to get you that information. Mm -hmm. Um, It's interesting when you look at, for example, the estimates of um, valuations of homes on um, national websites. um, If you drill down into that on their websites and go to their accuracy ratings that they give themselves, Mm -hmm. they give themselves zero stars for Montana because they're kind of just throwing darts at a dartboard in terms of evaluating um, prices of homes. They don't have the information. Is this like a Zillow.com and Realtor? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yep. They, you know, so yeah, if you go on Zillow and you click on um, accuracy by state for ours estimates, they will tell you that that in Montana they're not using sale prices. So realtors do have access to that information, as do licensed appraisers in our state. The reason for that, as I understand it, um, you know, there have been some moves to make Montana a full disclosure state, and it doesn't seem to sit well with our sense of privacy in Montana um, and sort of property rights and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It, when that comes up, um, voters seem to say, I don't really want the public to be able to look up what I paid for, what I sold my property for. 
Um, so that's that's how that has come about. We're not the only state that's like that, but we are in the minority. Interesting. Maybe New Hampshire is another one. Live free or die. <laughs> it could be. Um, you mentioned, so you're also a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And we talk a lot about the team that forms for a first-time home buyer. Yeah. The lender, the realtor, you know, the family, the, the support team. Do you recommend having a lawyer on that support team? Maybe why or why not? I think that's a question first-time home buyers think is, boy, I'm, this is the biggest investment of my life. Mm-hmm. I should probably have this examined and backed and have my own legal team also. Is that a good idea? So um, it really is transaction specific, whether you need outside counsel as well as your realtor. Mm-hmm. Um, it, for a first-time home buyer in a, a typical transaction in Montana, it's not typical to require the services of an attorney um, as well as your realtor. I don't work as an attorney for my clients. I did practice law um, before I switched, but um, Mm -hmm. I only represent them as their realtor. Okay. Um, It it is true that if I see something I think we need legal advice on, I will recommend that. So for example, my buyer is looking at a home that is clearly on a little private lane that crosses across you know, three other people's yards, and I don't see any easement documents. As a realtor, we all should know that we should be seeing that, and I'm uncomfortable mm-hmm. with your legal access. But at that point, it's probably time to say, we better you know, get you some um, legal representation as well. You know, I can ask first, is there an easement? Why you just forgot to, you know, provide that from the title company. But um, at some point, something like that. Um, But again, if it's sort of a straightforward, your realtor should be able to tell you at what point you've crossed into the realm of needing additional advice. Great, great. I think that will help calm the nerves of some of the first time home buyers. Like, "Ah, what's my responsibility to check? And What's my realtor right. responsibility? And keep in mind, again, this is state specific. There are some states that require lawyers to be part of the closing sure. process. So yeah. I'm only speaking to you about Montana. So do your research if you're not in if Montana. If you're not in Montana, yeah. yes. Uh, so, Julia, you have a team. You're backed by a team. You have the power of a team. Yeah. Um, some of the realtors out there, they're, they feel like freelancers. They kind of, they, they go and you email them and they email back and you mm-hmm. text them, they text back and... Can you describe maybe, and maybe that happens with you, but what is the difference between somebody that might, um, and maybe freelancer is the wrong way to describe this, but a realtor that is, you know, you every contact you have is with them versus a realtor like yourself that might have a team mm-hmm. behind you. So there's lots of ways, you know, realtors um, in, in our company and in most companies that I'm familiar with in Missoula um, are independent contractors. So we can okay. set up our businesses in lots of different ways. Um, A traditional team, which is not what I have, is often a couple of realtors who come together and work as partners. You know, so um, you may be working with both of them or on some teams, one person works with the buyers and one with the sellers, but it's a partnership. Um, What I have are um, licensed assistants who work for me as staff. And so I'm so fortunate to have such incredible staff. Um, these guys are capable of every part of the transaction. Um, so I have two licensed assistants that work for me on the residential side. So you're right, when you call my office, um, you may not get me first because I might be out you know, in the field. Mm-hmm. But what's awesome for us is you get a human. 
You right. get, you know, you get somebody and hopefully a response just as quickly as possible. You know, we were talking a little bit earlier about working with people who are busy and the advantages and disadvantages of, you know, somebody, people who are busy seem to be able to do a lot at once and, and right. produce a lot of results. And so for me, when I started hiring um, licensed assistants to work with me, it was a matter of capacity. I sort of sure. felt like I was at my personal capacity, but I wanted my business to be able to grow more. And with the three of us on the residential side, I really feel like we're able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And what percentage would you say is residential versus commercial? Of my like work? Is, yeah. You know, I I get asked that a lot. And so I, I sort of give the answer. It's probably about half and half. Mm-hmm. Residential real estate typically moves quite a bit faster than large commercial transactions. So a large commercial transaction can take months or, you know, a year to come to closing. Um, Lots of moving pieces and financing and, you know, things like that. Whereas uh, residential transactions, typically we can turn those around in about six weeks and we're doing quite a few. So um, from, from a number of transaction perspective and um, maybe time in the day, it's more, um, it's probably more residential than commercial at certain times of year. Sure. Um, but from a volume perspective, it's probably, probably half, probably half and half. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We're kind of bouncing around on questions here, but this is how my mind sort of wanders right. into each, uh, each aspect that you're talking about. Um, so let's get back to the first time home buyer that's made an offer. Mm-hmm. And can we talk about contingencies? Yeah. And because Cassie, our podcast producer, she had some questions before. Specifically, Cassie, what were some of those contingency questions? It was like, what yeah. are the most common ones? Or I'm just curious uh, if people feel like they're stuck in their buy sell if something goes wrong or yeah, like what are some scenario? Know, yeah, can so they Cassie's. Get out of it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you could hear the question, folks. But Cassie said, uh, "What what happens if you're stuck?" It, or you feel like you're stuck in the buy sell. So once you make the offer, you can't sleep. You're like, oh, did I make the wrong decision? It's sort of buyer's remorse, perhaps. And can you talk a little bit about your sure. experiences there? Yeah. Well, first of all, if it's just a buyer's remorse, like stress, oh my gosh, what have I done? Feeling sometimes that's a matter of of just having some conversations and talking it through. Um, because I think that it's it's stressful and it's a big decision and it can feel. Like, oh my gosh, am I going to be able to go on from this later if I don't want to live here forever, for example? Um, But that's sort of a normal part of the process after going under contract for some first-time homebuyers. And I think that, that a realtor's job at some level can be just to sort of calm those fears and say, let's just take it a step at a time, learn more about the property, that kind of thing. Um, it is normal to have um, contingencies in a purchase agreement. So you're going to have an inspection contingency, of course, and you're going to learn a lot more about the property during that process. Um, we have financing contingencies as well. Um, and those are very, in Montana, very um, in favor of the buyer, I would say. Um, the financing contingency runs right up to the closing date on our um, on our buy sales oh, typically. Wow. So if something would happen in a buyer's personal life or a big change that made it so they no longer qualified for the loan that they thought they did, they're going to be able to get out of the transaction without 
you know, winding up with yeah. huge penalties, which is, I think, a relief for certainly um, buyers to understand. Things like losing your job. Right. A death in the family, the family. Uh, okay. somebody getting sick, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, things that would just change the perspective of the loan application. Sure. So sure. that's okay. Um, dealing with inspection issues, um, you know, first of all, my job as a realtor is to have a pretty good eye when we're going into um, a, a property to see it with a with a buyer. And that's not something that should be expected of any buyer, but particularly a first-time home buyer. So if we're walking into a home that I know is at the top of the price range that we're looking at, and I'm viewing things that I think are going to need attention in the near future, you know, whether that's, you know, an expensive furnace replacement, or I ought to be able to see generally if a roof is really ready to be replaced, that sort of thing. Then we want to give, you know, some warning to our buyer that, boy, this might not be the right choice. Let's see if, you know, there's there's interest on the seller's side for addressing some of these issues. Okay. Um, inspections are not inexpensive. And so when you're thinking about the buying process, you know, think about the fact that you're gonna have to spend sort of four to $600 on an inspection. There's another sort of six to $700 on an appraisal that you're gonna have to spend. So, so allying yourself with um, a realtor whom you trust and who has a good eye for these things may keep you from employing that inspector when your realtor's already already saying, boy, I have some concerns about this. This might not be the one that we want to- Make an offer on. Yeah, and spend money on an inspection unless there's some room in there in your budget for addressing the things that I'm seeing as we're walking through. Would you say the average first-time homebuyer has more than one home that they get inspected and back out of and then- their backup offer or nine times out of ten is the offer that a first-time home buyer makes and is accepted the home that they close on so I think what I heard you ask are two different questions yeah the first-time home buyer um, should be prepared to have to make offers on more than one property and have their offer not get accepted depending of course on their price range mm-hmm. but in our community um, in sort of the price range up to sort of the median ho- home value and even a bit above that it's not unusual for us to see multiple offers come in pretty quickly on a property. Really? So if you're a first time home buyer who is working with a lender or um, you know has other contingencies that they need to work through, they may not be the person whose offer gets accepted. And um, I guess you have to go in it with the understanding that there's more than one place that can work. You know, it's right. not sort of like, just finding the the magical love of your life. Hopefully, <laughs> right. there's a you know more than one home in our community that can work, and your offer may not be the one that gets chosen several times. You got to kind of sure. it's patience game. You have to kind of stick with it. The other question I think I heard you ask was, is it usual to go under contract, get through the inspection and all of that, and then not have it get to closing? Right. That's something you really hope. You don't do because mm-hmm. of the expenses that I just said to you that, you know, that said, if you are if you've built this great team that you really trust and you get through the inspection and you've spent that four to six hundred dollars and your realtor and the inspector are both saying to you, run, don't walk. This <laughs> isn't a good here. thing. Yeah. You know, consider that money well spent, even though that's a tough thing to lose that right. that inspection money. 
But long term, you could be saving advice. tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. And sometimes that does happen. You know, that's disappointing, but it can happen. And it's the smart thing to to keep looking probably. Yeah. You find a great home, you make an offer, and they're accepting backup offers. Mm-hmm. Do you recommend first-time homebuyers put their name in the hat and wait? Put their name in the hat as a backup offer and continue looking? Or what, what's the process there? B. <laughs> yeah, B. Right. B, which is Keep looking. Um, so by all means, submit a backup offer if you really want that home. Um, but don't, definitely keep don't hold looking. Your breath. Don't hold your breath. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's nice to be in that backup position. Um, should something fall apart, because that means that you're immediately under contract at the agreed terms. You don't have to negotiate that kind of thing. Um, that said, you know, a backup offer in place often helps the seller get the other buyer to agree to their terms and move forward. Oh, really? It creates a little pressure on the buyer in the first position. So, you know, it may not, it, it's possible it's not going to come down to you and, and you have to know that and keep looking. Yeah. The other thing some buyers don't understand is when you put that backup offer in, you can always withdraw it. So you can okay. keep looking. And if you find something else, you can withdraw your backup offer. So you don't okay. have to wait. You can know? you have multiple backup offers? Can you just have, can you be second in line on three homes? So you could. You could uh, do that. Legally, yeah. you could. Um, that makes me a little uncomfortable for, <laughs> yeah. um, for everybody involved. Um, and, you know, I think um, the best foot forward always in this tra- in these transactions is to be as um, sort of transparent as possible. You want um, a seller that you give a backup offer to, to know that you're gonna be continuing to look. Um, you know, I really think that in the end, these transactions go best when when folks are as transparent as possible. And like I said, that's where you find that spot where the terms of the agreement work for both the seller and the buyer. And everybody, yeah. you don't have the everybody walking away unhappy. You have the yeah. everybody walking away with what was fair and, and yeah. um, felt good for everyone. And that's great. Um, what would be a piece of advice you'd have for folks who are wanting to check they they walk into a home the first time and they're knocking on this they're knocking on the walls checking you know what's the density of this drywall and <laughs> checking the water heater and they're wanting to climb on the roof right then and there what okay well they're not going to do that okay they can't do that because <laughs> they're I pulling out the ladder I don't want any buyers uh, with broken necks so but yeah. they're treating kind of that first home visit maybe an open house as I have to I have to know everything that's wrong with the house now or I have to try sleeping in the bed tonight before I make a decision. That's got to be kind of stressful for a first-time home buyer that is making this big decision and maybe they have 20 minutes to look at it before yeah. the next party comes in. I think um, one of the ways to deal with that stress is to be pretty prepared ahead of time with knowing what you're looking for. So we try to spend a good amount of time getting to know each other, chatting over coffee or lunch, making lists, you know, and everybody's lists of priorities are different. So is it that you only want to be within biking distance to your job? Is it that you need at least three bedrooms to accommodate the people that live in your household? Um, Is it that um, you need a place for your horses? You know, I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. I can't even think of all of the top priorities, but they are 
as different as individuals are that are out there. Um, so then, you know, when you're looking at these houses, you can be a bit objective and sort of lower that stress level by having those priorities in your mind and, and talking to yourself and your agent about whether this property meets those needs. So, um, you know, there's not a barn for the horses, but there's enough acreage, you know, that we've got five acres, you know, um, is there enough money in the budget to create a place where they'll be comfortable in the winter, mm-hmm. you know, that kind sure. of thing. So I think knowing what you're looking for seems daunting, but really helps in the end as you start that sort of home looking process. Sure. Or looking for a home. Thanks. Yeah, that's super helpful. I think our audience just breathe the sigh of relief. Okay, good. Yeah. I don't have to <laughs> know the exact uh, no. metrics of everything. No. Okay, I think it might be time for our world famous segment called Closing Time. This is where we ask our guests the same four questions, although they vary every week, so really different questions every week, um, with the same kind of theme. Um, To start, what's one piece of advice, or what's the one piece of, what's the one piece of advice you would give to a first-time homebuyer who's new to the process and just getting started? So um, I I fear that this is probably repetitive, but it is really good advice, and that's to build a team around you that you feel comfortable with and that you trust. Um, I had a client say to me this morning, she asked me a bunch of questions and um, she said to me, this is not what I do and I am happy to have professionals around me. So she talked to me about the questions she asked her lender. She talked, then she had questions for me and then she was happy to move on her way. Now, she um, is a a middle-aged person who has probably learned that lesson over lots of areas of her life and she's happy to act as a professional in her profession. But there's just no other way to lower the stress level and be sure that you're making a good decision. I would encourage home buyers to interview realtors. You're gonna spend a lot of time with that person and a lot of time chatting with them, riding around in their vehicle, um, looking for advice and no matter who it is, it needs to be somebody you feel connected to. That you know that you have that personal sort of um, relationship where you feel comfortable, where you feel like um, I can ask any question and not have to think, oh, is this? Am I inhibited about asking this question because it doesn't seem like a smart question? Sure. Any question is good. So that's the number one thing. Great. Any books that you would recommend for our listeners? They can be real estate related. They can be finance related, life related. Sounds like you have some podcasts also. So what's in your digital (laughs) diet that you would recommend for folks? So, um, hmm. A book that I love, and it's sort of real estate related, but it's really life related, is called Quiet by Susan Cain. And it's a book about introverts. Um, It's a book about being an introvert, but honing in on your extroverted skills. I think that that's something that I've had to do in my life. Um, Introverts, she talks about how introverts sort of revitalize themselves with quiet time, but that they can then still step out and sort of have leadership skills and, you know, provide the sort of, um, whether it's mentoring or leadership or sales advice, anything. Um, So in reading that book, I would think that 
that folks could learn some things maybe about themselves, but also about the team that they're building. It doesn't have to be the loudest foot stomping, um, you know, sort of traditional sales person right. to give you the, the good advice that you need and the leadership that you may be seeking. So I love that book. Great. We'll yeah. definitely put that one in the show notes for folks nice. to check out. Nice. Um, what's the biggest myth that you hear people say about buying a home for the first time or just the real estate industry in general that you hear and say, I don't know where people started believing that. That is just not true. Um, I think, and I don't want to overstate it, but I do think that um, at some level, realtors have get sort of a bad rap for just mm. being um, salespeople and not being um, really having the interest of their clients in mind, whether that's sellers or, you know, in the same way attorneys do. And, sure. um, you know, every profession has that sort of bad rap at some level um, that that they're fighting against all the time. But when you think about longevity and you think about building a career in a community that you live and want to be a positive part of, um, I would say that I have really high regard for my colleagues. And um, these are folks that, for the most part, really want to do the right thing by their clients and want to continue to work and be members of this community. And and I think that's that's generally true. Yeah. That's yeah. a really positive message, and I think a good one for, for our listeners to hear. Yeah. Uh, our final question, is there something that we didn't ask you that you were wishing, oh, I wish Kyle and the team would have brought this question to the table. I would have loved to answer that one. Hmm. Um, for advice for first-time first time homebuyers, I think that that the other thing is is just to hang in there and to be patient. Um, it's It can take some time. There can be some disappointments along the way in finding the right, you know, the right match for for what you want to do. Oh, and the one other thing that we didn't talk about was there are so many different programs to support um, the first time home buyer that um, sometimes I think go under the radar. So yeah. I would encourage first time home buyers to talk to their agents and their lenders, and even just to get on the internet and do searches because the number of programs that we have access to um it's pretty impressive and yeah. and you may um be able to come to this transaction with less of a down payment than you thought you might need um with you know there's just a lot of tools in the toolbox yeah. that you want to explore and now a podcast they can listen to exactly there it is yeah, another tool um i know i said that was my last question but i had one more when you were talking i'm one of the things we also haven't talked about is the dream home versus the starter home. Mm. And I see a lot of friends on Facebook getting into homes and boy, they look like dream homes. Uh-huh. And my first home does not look like a dream home, <laughs> but I sort of have a stepping a plan. I'm wondering, is there a right way? Is there a wrong way? Do you have any thoughts on that? You mean about, about getting to wanting too much to start with or Maybe just sizing up like i think some people think of this purchase as a one and done it's the first and last home i'll ever yeah. buy yeah and are there strategies that people should be thinking differently that this is just a first home it's not my it doesn't have to be my last home yeah absolutely so i think it's important you know we were talking earlier about you know, sort of getting those priorities in line before you start looking and having your agent understand what's most important to you. 
those priorities, I think, should reflect at least a five-year plan. Um, it's pretty difficult to purchase a home and then exit out of that purchase in two or three years and not um, have that be an expense to you because the yeah. you know there are expenses involved in the transaction. Um, so those should meet those needs. But boy, when I hear buyers say, I want the forever home, I want this to meet my needs for forever, um, it's a nice thought, but that's it's pretty unlikely. You know, life throws us curveballs, and we just don't always know what that's going to look like. You yeah. know, what is life going to look like? Uh, you know, I could tell you from personal experience, I had um, when my oldest daughter was two years old, I found out I was having twins. So we didn't know we were going to zone defense overnight. Curveball. <laughs> Curveball. So, and and we did end up moving shortly after that. Yeah, um, sure. So, you just don't know. So yeah, I think that you're right. I would um, I would discourage looking for that forever place, but but find a place that meets your immediate needs into the sort of foreseeable future. Sure. Yeah. Are there going to be any fourth generation gardeners in the real estate world? Well, TBD. My, my yeah, TBD. I would say. <laughs> sure. <laughs> You'll have to ask them. Right. Cool. Well. Yeah. Julie, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an amazing episode. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And enjoy the weekend. It's supposed to be really nice here. Yeah, can't wait. That's it. Okay, thanks again. Thanks.